Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan. And our guest today, presented by Mark Hanna of the Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Fine folks there at evergreenstl.com is former Cardinal John Costello. Now, I'm sure some of you going, I think I remember John Costello had about three years with the Cardinals. Interesting guest selection. But I did. I wouldn't have expected him to pop up on the podcast. Now I remember John Costello because when you're in your in your 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 baseball, I think baseball at least in St. Louis is St. Louis, and it's never more important than at that time. Like whatever team is really good when you're around 10 to 12, you will remember as the best team the rest of your life. Baseball cards and everything, Gangster Pete. You're right. Uh, and so I think about the '85 Cardinals, the '87 Cardinals, and I'm like, oh, the 2000. 13 Cardinals couldn't hold a candle to them. And I have no idea. I just know. But then that time, at that time, it seemed like a bigger deal. So I remember John. I know a lot of the podcast listeners were not even born uh, during the 80s, but that's my favorite time. I love Cardinal baseball in the 80s because I love the base running. So I go to Cardinal Fantasy Camp uh, this year and participate in it. I'm not sure I'm going to do it in 2020. I hope to, but I'm not sure I'll be. Uh, in Jupiter at that time, a bunch of things up in the air determining that. But uh, either way, I got to do it this year. And I was told, brought a videographer, the great Nick Gale, and uh, I was told, you can shoot everything, and uh, we love the promotion, that's great, but you cannot shoot the morning meetings. And I go, "What? I don't even know what the morning meetings are. And they said, it's just where the managers of the team, all former Cardinals, I think there were 10 teams, uh, stand up each morning and kind of give an assessment of their team and uh, their thoughts. And um, the morning meetings, I think, are the best part of camp. And you're going, well, why is that so great? And I would say it's like a roast, for lack of a better term. It's like a roast. Now, John Costello was one of the managers. Ozzie Smith was a manager. Uh, Ted Simmons was a manager. Uh don't know if Isringhausen was a manager. A lot Mott was in there, but he wasn't a manager. Alan Bennis was my manager. Um, I'm trying to think. Bruce Suter and Whitey Herzog were involved kind of as, like, commissioners, so to speak. Although, I guess Scott Terry, the former Cardinals commissioner, Rick Horton was. So, anyway, my point is this. Um, the morning meetings are quality. And, of course, I cannot uh, reveal what goes on specifically. But it's great entertainment. And Costello who I didn't realize was from New York, uh, gets up there and he's just, you know, I mean, it's just classic, but with the New York dialect, which you are about to hear, uh, combined with the roast element of the morning meeting, it, uh, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. So it reminded me of Jeffrey Ross, the roast master general. If you ever watch any of those comedy central, uh, roast and the, uh, and so I'm like, I, and I think I talked about it on the radio when I got back from the thing and I said, I got to get John Costello on the podcast. So we have been emailing about it for a few months. Um, in addition to talking about that, uh, his experience playing for the Cardinals, playing for Whitey Herzog, playing with Ozzie Smith, um, and, uh, and, and baseball in the eighties and in the 1990s, which is when he pitched. Uh, and then also now, uh, getting his, his perspective, um, but it's just, you know, this is, this is a guy, this is a guy I'd like to have on, uh, on TMA on a regular basis. Cause it's just, it's, it's, we're talking baseball, but we're talking baseball in a, in a bit of a different way. Kind of, kind of, I think more how 
when when people are together bullshitting about baseball, they're bullshitting more in the John Costello uh, fashion of it. So uh, John Costello, the former Cardinal reliever and, it should be noted, champion manager of uh, fantasy, the fantasy camp this year, our guest presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. We are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the HomeLoanExpert.com, makes this podcast possible with his sponsorship of our studios. He is online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. If you're looking to buy a home, if you're looking to capitalize on the real estate market and interest rates being low and refinance, Ryan Kelly is your person to go to. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. He has been a supporter of this podcast since the beginning, and we bring you interviews every week. Pat Maroon last week, John Costello this week. He's presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the former Cardinal reliever, John Costello. Uh, John, thanks so much for coming in uh, to the the magic that is this podcast. Absolutely. Now you paused there. I felt I felt like that was like kind of like you know what? Why am I here? You were thinking to yourself, why am I here? Why why did I agree to do this? Oh, you said the word magic. I was, I was just trying to figure out how you come up with that. <laughs> it was very self indulgent compliment. I mean, I'm patting. Well, myself if you want to pat yourself on the back, that's fine. <laughs> I gotta hype it up some way. Um, I. I, I knew you as a kid growing up watching the Cardinals play, but I became a bigger fan when I participated in the fantasy camp this past year. And I felt like you, you put on a clinic, not necessarily man, managing, although you did lead your team to the championship. I should, I should note that in advance. Yes, I did. Is that your first championship? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, we had lost the last three years in a row before this year in the championship game yes so i called up marv levy and asked him how can i prevent from losing four championships in a row and uh he gave me some advice i can't share with anybody but no, you don't want to share that yeah we ended up winning but you guys got it done but it was the morning meetings and for those not familiar with this before every day we take the field each manager will come up there and kind of give a state of the union so to speak now well, we kind of evaluate the players uh activities from the day before and constructive criticism. <laughs> and that's uh, about all I can elaborate on. That's right. <laughs> I was told I could video anything, but I was told the morning meeting is the sacred cow and there is an omerta regarding what goes on in the morning meeting does not go outside the room. Yes. Whatever omerta means. Yes. <laughs> but that's where your <laughs> that's where your star don't Giant use big words right. with me, Tim. <laughs> I can look them up. I have Google. <laughs> you do with your multiple phones. <laughs> yeah, I got multiple oh, my phones. God. Yeah. Um, so, but but that's when I was like, man, I said to, I said to a few of the, the Cardinal alumni, I said, John Costello is like instant offense. You have the the New York dialect. So it reminded me of Jeffrey Ross, the Roastmaster General on Roast. It, that's what you reminded me of when you were standing up there talking and observing some of the Maybe weaknesses of some of some of the members of your yeah, roster. Little Dennis Leary, maybe a little that's him. Bill Burr. Nice. That's even yeah. better. I think Bill Burr's Yeah, Bill Burr's my favorite comedian right so now. So he is. Okay. Yeah. So then that makes sense. Because there's yeah. kind of that pacing and then the you grew up in the Bronx, right? Yep. Bronx, New York. And uh my father's a New York City fireman. He moved us out to Long Island uh, about the age of eight. So but, I assume Yankees fan? Believe it or not, Mets fan. Oh, you just like a contrarian just to start, start crap? Well, you know what? My father grew up five blocks from Yankee Stadium and for some reason became a Dodgers fan. I think he liked the underdog, so he started rooting for the Dodgers as a kid in the 40s and 50s. Uh -huh. And uh, when the Dodgers and the Giants left for uh, the coast back in the late 50s, uh, he became a Mets fan when they came into existence. Right. And believe it or not, the Mets' colors are the burnt orange from the uh, Giants. And the, and the blue Dodger from the blue. Dodgers. So that's how the Mets colors came ah, about. So I, I became a Mets fan because of that. Ah, I didn't know yeah. that was the history of it. So you learned something every yeah, day. Now this has become an educational podcast. You addition. can teach me vocabulary <laughs> and I'll teach you history <laughs> of baseball. History of teams' uniforms. And their colors. <laughs> so you're growing up and you're playing ball in, in New York, but you, moved, you guys moved to Long Island? Yeah, we moved yeah. to Long Island and... Uh, it was fortunate that my next door neighbor was the head of the Little League in Oceanside, Long Island. So I ended up joining Little League as soon as I got there. Uh -huh. and, uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> but I always am curious when I talk to guys who played sports professionally, like what level you were at when you were a kid. Were you like in another world and it was really clear that you were something or were you somebody who didn't really get it going until like your junior year of high school? I think... God always blessed me with a good right arm, and, you know, the rest I had to work at. I didn't get blessed 
with a 95 mile an hour fastball. So uh-huh. I had to work at it. And, uh, you know, you just make the most of what you have. Yeah. You know? It's like anything else. Air products, they don't work for me. You know? <laughs> I've, got, I've, got yeah. the, I've got the same thing going. <laughs> you got the same barber. <laughs> but uh, well, I have wavy hair. Just kept, <laughs> kept waving goodbye. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you just, whatever, whatever ability you have, you know, it doesn't take any talent to hustle. So I always try to out-hustle people and out, you know, I guess not the Pete Rose hustle, but, you know, just try harder. Mm-hmm. And then the coaches took notice of that. And then over time, you know, you just develop your own style and you take it to the next level. So you were probably also not just a really good pitcher. You're probably a really good position player. That that usually goes hand in hand. Yeah, I was a pretty good shortstop. Uh, not much of a hitter. And, uh, I mean, I hit 320 in college, but I think I hit 255 in high school. Usually you go down in yeah. average when you go up. But uh, then I got to the big leagues, and I think I batted. Let me get. Let me see. Let's see if I can find. Oh, for twelve, yeah. I think is zero point zero zero. You did not. Yeah. They don't even have the hitting stats. Yeah, oh, here we go. We do. Yeah, they never stopped the game to give you me that never, ball for that first hit. In the you are leagues. 0 for twelve. That yeah, is 0 correct. For 12. 0 for yeah, twelve. With seven punch outs, I don't have to look it up. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, I know it. I guess you can track <laughs> seven of them. Actually, they have you listed with nine strikeouts. So I don't. Know, you might want to call baseball nine. reference on that. Yeah. Three and eighty-eight, five and uh, eighty-nine, and then then somebody got you in you San know, Diego. I, all these years of therapy, and <laughs> I was just starting to get over it, and I hit I me with two more strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used Omerta right. and the strikeout stat. So you were playing in high school. Were you like one of the best pitchers in the New York area at that time? Uh, not in the New York area. Maybe in uh, my high school. <laughs> <laughs> but you wound up in the big leagues. Well, you know what? I was always that guy that. I, I was good, but I was never that, like, blue-chip prospect. Right. So Were you playing with guys, playing against guys? You're like, yeah, oh, that guy's sick. Yeah, I played against Frank Viola in high school. Oh, wow. And, uh, what was teammate. he like in high school? He was good. Yeah, I yeah. would imagine. He was actually a hell of a hitter back then, too. Yeah. So he was he was a stud. And but, uh, John Morris, I don't know if you remember that name. but Yeah, he was on the Cardinals. He was on the Cardinals, yes. And uh, he, he played for Memphis High School, which is also a school out in Long Island. So there were some good ball players on Long Island. Could you tell with those guys that they had something that the rest of the rosters didn't have? I, I always thought John Morris was going to make it, and I also thought Frank Vela was going to make it. So Did you think he's going to be like as a pitcher or a position player? Uh, you know what? John Morris, I thought was going to make it as a pitcher. That's how wow. good of a pitcher he was back then. But uh, he made it as a position player and as an outfielder. And uh, Frank Viola obviously made it as a pitcher. Yeah. But he could hit. Saw a young award winner yeah. shut the Cardinals down in, uh, in the 87 World Series. So as things progress, you go to college. Where do you go to college? I went to college at Mercyhurst College in Erie, Pennsylvania. And you're playing ball there. Yes. Shortstop and in, in the snow. In the snow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't you know, see the, the College World Series te- teams come from Mercyhurst, Erie. Yeah. You don't see that too often. Although now they have a heck of a program. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. I put it on the map, and now they're taking it from that. You put it on the map back in the early <laughs> I take full credit for all of that. <laughs> uh, and now that you've won a championship at Fantasy Camp, I would have to think they might be interested in bringing you on to. Well, you know. They they tried to bring me back, and you know I've had a few major league teams contacting me to manage. That but, you might go right but from. I, yeah, but I've turned them down, and I'm going to stay with Bug Dynasty down. <laughs> that Cardinal's is the name of the team. Camp. Yep, Bug, Bug Dynasty. Dynasty. Well, that comes from Timberline Fisheries. There's a plug, uh-huh. famous plug for Todd Goodman. Uh, Todd Goodman owns Timberline Fisheries, and uh, we've been together eight or nine years now. And we weren't so good the first several years, but uh, but some great drafts. We've we've done some good drafting and uh, recruiting and maybe bribing a few players to come play for us, but uh, no. Over the over the years, we've accumulated a pretty good group of guys and uh, actually a great group of guys and a pretty good group of ball players. I had no idea how fun that thing was going to be. Really, the morning meetings probably like the highlight. That's the best part. But just hanging out with people and how great the Cardinal alumni are to hang out with the the, the campers. The thing that stood out to me from a baseball standpoint that was super eye-opening, like Ryan Franklin was on my team. Right. And if Ryan Franklin would have gotten at bat in a major league game, he probably would have either been told by LaRusso or Matheny, don't swing. And then if he did swing, it probably would have been three pitches and that would wrap it up and it would look a little embarrassing. And then Ryan Franklin is on our team and he is raking. Right. And it just, like Dave Veers, God bless him. Oh, we are facing campers. <laughs> I know, yeah. but my point is these are guys who, in our minds as fans, are like, well, they can't hit where the crap, and then they go out there. Uh, at the big league level, you're you're correct. I mean, my <laughs> my hitting prowess is an example of that. Nine punch outs and 12 at-bats. And all these years, I thought it was, it was only seven. seven. But anyway, um, we all could hit in high school and college. 
I never was much of a hitter, like I stated earlier, but I could always throw and I could field. But we we were all good athletes back when we were younger. Mm -hmm. So the major league pitchers you see now struggling at the plate were studs in high school and college, but then you don't you don't hit in the minor leagues. You have right, a DH, right. and uh, and I'll explain the whole minor league system. Basically, there's prospects and then there's suspects, and I was a suspect or as I would also be known as a roster filler <laughs> to try and help the prospects get to the big leagues. That's how the minor league system really That's works. That's how it really works. But if you put up enough numbers and keep doing well and busting your tail over time, somebody will take notice. And if you get that break, you can actually make it to the big leagues and do something. And you did, uh, you did in 88 with the Cardinals. Now, as far as drafting goes, did the Cardinals draft you, or were you drafted by somebody else? No, I was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in 1983. All right. They had just won the World Series in 82. So I figured they wanted to repeat, so they drafted me. <laughs> that was the reason. Yeah, that was the reason. <laughs> and you get there in 88, uh, once again, fresh off of a, not a world championship, but a, a pennant in 87. Um, Correct. Take me back to the moment when you get get the word that you're going to be a big leaguer. Well, I was actually in Syracuse, New York at the time when I got the phone call. And uh, Mike Jorgensen was my manager in AAA. Mike played. AAA only team was Louisville then? It was Louisville, yeah. Kentucky back then. But we were on the road, so we were in Syracuse. And uh, he called me into the office to tell me that I was going to the major leagues. and uh, Or as they say, going to the show. Mm -hmm. And first phone call was to my mom to tell her that I was called up to the big leagues. Oh, man. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Were you expecting it? Were you kind of like, man, it's overdue? What was your mindset when? No, I wasn't expecting it at all. I was performing well. I was pitching well. I was the closer at the time, and uh, I didn't start the year as the closer, but I started pitching well. And in three weeks, I had eleven saves. And when Terry Pendleton pulled a hamstring, why well, he needed an extra pitcher for that ten-day DL that mm -hmm. he was going on, so I was called up to fill the gap for those ten days. But you stuck around a lot longer than ten days. Yes. As a matter of fact, when I got called up, I had to sign a AAA contract to go back in 10 days, as well as my major league contract. But I told myself, I said, I'm not going back if I can help it. And after 10 days, I think I had 10 or 11 innings in, and I hadn't given up a run yet, so I ended up sticking around. So what is the—take me back to what that's like in 88, the difference between what you're experiencing in Syracuse, New York, and traveling around AAA ball and what it's like at the major league level in 88. Well, it just went from, you know— Triple A is great competition, don't get me wrong. And everybody's trying like heck to get to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden you get to the big leagues and everybody's pulling for each other. I mean, Danny Cox was on the disabled list when I got called up and he'd be the first guy to shake your hand coming off the mound, whether you had a good outing or a bad outing. Mm. And it was like more of a team unity thing in the major league level. And obviously the fields were in better condition, the uh, conditions, the uh, travel, you had people actually packing your own bags and, unpacking them for you and mm -hmm. you had meals at at the uh ballpark that you could actually eat where some <laughs> some triple a places you didn't want to eat that you just wanted to go to the hotel and eat but uh it just everything just gets better yeah yeah and as far as bush stadium now that's the astroturf days yeah it's the astroturf days and uh i think it sat one level below street level so it really held the heat well as a matter of fact, there's a famous quote by Casey Stengel in the 65 All-Star game. They had it here at Bush Stadium. And they asked him what he thought of the new ballpark. And I think it was 135 on the turf at that time. And uh, he just said, well, it holds the heat well. <laughs> I mean, that thing was unreal. Yeah, Going he, as a fan was unreal. Like those seats you couldn't sit down. I can't imagine being on the field. It was hot. I, I remember pitching three innings one day, 135 to 140 on the turf. And... You literally were drenched from sweating out there. And it, it put some towels and ice buckets with some ammonia in there to help wake you up a little bit. But as soon as you jogged back out to the mound, it was like breathing in an oven. <laughs> yeah. Now, the 88 Cardinals were coming off, like I said, a pennant, but didn't win the division. That was a Mets year. Uh, what do you remember about these these teams you were with? Because the 89 Cardinals were in the mix, and you were part of the 89 Cardinals, and you guys were right there, like, into September, and then the Cubs wound up pulling away. Yeah, we ended up going on a six-game losing streak, and they won six games in a row. So In 89. Yeah, in 89, yeah. so that turned it around. But in 88, I was a rookie, and I was just happy to be there. Yeah. I mean, we didn't contend for anything. But I was just at the ballpark the other night, and they honored the uh, 2004 team, 15-year reunion. Mm -hmm. And... uh I'm waiting for them to honor the uh, third-place 88 team. That'd be nice, yeah, wouldn't it? It I, seems like it's overdue. I've been talking to Joe Pfeiffer for the last three years, so next year I'm hoping they're going to honor the 1990 team. 
all the team that finished in last that place. That finished in last place, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm pushing for that because, you know. <laughs> it's the 30th anniversary. 30th anniversary of the last place 1990 Cardinals. It was so bad, Whitey quit. I know yeah. that. What was that day like? If I, I Now, I remember as a fan, you guys, I think, were in San Francisco. San Diego. San Diego. Sorry, being an S. I'm in the right state. And and I was already gone, by the way. You were already gone. Yeah, you so were I, observing. So I tell people it wasn't because the team was bad that Whitey quit. It was because he you traded You had been traded me. to Montreal. Right, and he couldn't do it without me. So he just said, I'm out. <laughs> so you you actually weren't in San Diego or San Francisco. You were in <laughs> no, I was probably in Quebec. Montreal somewhere, yeah. Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> talking, talking it over, talking French or English. And Vince Coleman, I think, got tossed from a game, got an argument with Ed Montague, and it was ugly. And the next day, Whitey's like, I'm done with this thing. Yeah. Well, I think the the real reason was uh, Gussie had passed away yeah. the year before. And Whitey wanted to keep players like Vince Coleman, Terry Pendleton, Willie McGee, Ozzie Smith, obviously, the nucleus of that team together. And he saw the writing on the wall that they were going to be, you know, split up. And he the brewery gonna... wasn't going to treat the team the way that Gussie had. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and it was Gussie's passion, the Cardinals. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the DeWitts have done a great job. But, uh, you know, growing up watching the Cardinals and then getting drafted by them and playing for them with Anheuser-Busch owning them was kind of a neat deal. Yeah, man. Uh, that was... Losing Gussie, I think, was a big reason why Whitey ended up. And he was really leaving. close with him, too. Yeah, he was very close with him. Yeah. yeah Whitey and him were Good buddies. When you're when you're playing for those teams, I mean, that's still you still have you mentioned that nucleus. What was it like watching having Ozzie Smith on the left side of the infield behind you? You know, having the speed that was in the outfield. Well, the speed in the outfield helped me better, <laughs> or whatever, because I very rarely would get a ground ball. As a matter of fact, I'll tell this story. First game in the big, not in the big leagues, but first game at Shea Stadium. Ricky Horton's got a three nothing shutout. It's the seventh inning. McReynolds is up. And I've done well against McReynolds, so Whitey figures get me in there, get through the seventh inning, and then we can get to Ken Daly and Todd Rell to finish it out. Well, after about eight pitches, it's still one and two to McReynolds, so Ozzy runs to the mound and says, hey, we could use a ground ball. I was like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, it's first and second, nobody out. That'd, that'd be a great thing to have. So after another few pitches, I was like, well, let me try it down, down and in and try and get the double play ball and utilize the 13-time gold glover. Next thing I know, that ball's landing in the left center field bleachers for a three-run homer. The apple is up. The apple is up. <laughs> so is uh, Rick Horton's blood pressure from watching <laughs> his 3 nothing shutout turn into a 3-3 game. And then, uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up trying to pitch out of uh, character, basically, where I, I was a fly ball strikeout pitcher, I tried to get a ground ball, and not a good idea. <laughs> Did you look over at the wizard? <laughs> uh, no. And, you know, Mike Rock asked me, what did he say to you? And I said, nothing. He just said, you know, keep pumping in there, and he got some rosin, and that was it. <laughs> I think he knew better that, you know. But, you know, I, it wasn't a bad idea at the time. I mean, I wasn't getting him out with my uh, high fastball. I was trying to get him to fly out or strike out. And I figured, why not? You know, if we can get a ground ball double play, it'd be great. But the next day, I'm sitting in the bullpen, and this guy bugged me for about five innings for a baseball for his kid. And I told him, I said, well, I can't give you one, but if one comes into the bullpen, I'll give it to you. And he goes, come on, it's my kid's birthday, and he had a thick New York accent. Mm. And I'm from New York, so even <laughs> I knew he had a thick New York accent. <laughs> anyway, he kept asking me for one. Finally, I said, I can't give you one. I have to give everybody one. So if one comes into the bullpen, he goes, ah, I said, I'll give it to you. And he goes, that's all right. He goes, I'll get one later when you go in to pitch. Oh. And he was sitting in the same bleachers where the home run McReynolds hit off me the night before landed. So it was kind of funny, and everybody <laughs> laughed. And you know, I didn't think it was too funny at the time. But anyway, he kept bugging me. And then finally, Frank DePino said, hey, do we go to the sanitation department and yell at you when you're trying to work? He goes, you know, be quiet. Yeah. In so many words. But, uh, in yeah, so many words. That's part of baseball, you know. Which bullpen was the toughest one to do? Because they tell me now... Uh, I guess it's called Oracle. It used to be AT&T Park in San Francisco. It was brutal. It is brutal. Because I guess the bullpens are right along. Right. And that was brutal back in the day, too. We played at Candlestick. Candlestick was brutal? Yeah. And I don't know if it was Edgar Allan Poe, but he said the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in Frisco. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd sit in Frisco. It'd be 40 degrees out at game time. And the fans were not only 
brutal on you, but sometimes they would throw stuff in at you, and it was just not a good location for a bullpen. <laughs> what was Wrigley like in the 80s? Wrigley wasn't bad. Um, you, you were right against the wall then, you're down the line, and the fans are very accessible to you, so you can hear them too. Uh-huh. And it's all good-natured. Uh-huh. But uh, there was a game that Ricky Horton was about to go into, and some guy was smashing... <laughs> ketchup and mustard packets on the wall and <laughs> splattering him out towards him warming up before he went into a game. And when he got out to the mound, Whitey's like, what are you guys having a barbecue down there? He had mustard and ketchup all over his uniform. <laughs> but that's uh, Chicago for you. Those, cl- You know, I've been in the Wrigley Clubhouse, which hasn't changed that much since when you were pitching. I mean, it's like a high school locker yeah, room. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Uh, but what were, the, what were the ballparks like? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've been into some of these things since then, and they're like, Palaces. Yeah, it, I just recently in the Cardinals clubhouse and compared to the old Bush Stadium, yeah. it's, it's really nice. It's, so, you know, it, it it's nice to have uh, the modern day Im- amenities or whatever. But we were, I think, a closer knit group back then because we'd sit around and talk baseball a lot, and after the game we'd sit around and talk some baseball. But it seems like these guys are all into their electronics and they're watching video. I think Tony Gwynn was the first one to start watching video back in our day. Yeah. But uh, I guess it's just more modernized or whatever. John Costello, our guest this week, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He presents our guests every week. Pat Maroon last week, John Costello this week. And what do we know about Mark Hanna that uh, I can get on board with? Well, I can tell you this. First off, first-class guy. Secondly, he is someone you need. It's kind of that simple. This isn't like a luxury uh, purchase. This is this is someone you need. Um, and now I've kind of gotten into it. And by that, I mean monitor, like taking pride in. It's almost like managing one of my crappy DraftKings teams. Uh, like, going, ooh, this month I want to try to do this with this and, you know, this and that, do this with this money and do that. And, 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 and I wish I was doing this for the last 20 years. It's so dumb that I wasn't. It's embarrassing. Uh, but I wasn't. And so I think people think of a financial advisor and they think of a broker going, oh, yeah, you want to put your money in here and then you want to pull your money out of here and then move it over here. And that's not what we're talking about. Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day. He's at evergreenstl.com. I'm so excited because people will email me and say, hey, my wife and I met with Mark or I met with Mark and you're right. He really is a good guy and we're going to do business with him. And I know that they have taken a significant step in managing their money Um, and that. You know, I mean, listen, when it gets down to it, he's an advertiser, but I'm not going to endorse somebody where I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy's a creep, but he's willing to spend this much money a month, so I'll do spots for him. I'm never going to do that, never going to do that. He's a good guy, and he's somebody who I know uh, is somebody who screwed up and didn't manage my money wisely in my 20s and 30s that is is an asset. And if you go to evergreenstl.com, um, you can find out about Evergreen Wealth Strategies and Mark Hanna and make sure that you set up an appointment. You'll be very happy. It's about getting organized, but it's also about putting you on the right path for whatever your goals are, whether it be short-term or long-term. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Another person that's very easy for me to recommend on this podcast is James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Started doing spots for him and for about a year, and then, you know, um, I made a couple of switches um, business-wise with people that I was working with and I thought, you know what? We need to make a clean sweep. James Carlton is the person. He just is. And, and, and I know it's kind of an awkward spot because I've been working with, with this office for a number of years. But James is at another level from a customer service standpoint. His number is 314-961-4800. You go online at carltoninsurance.net. He's in Webster Groves. He's not doing goofy television commercials with animals or characters because they want to distract you from the fact that their customer service is weak. Uh, he is who he is. He is a St. Louisan who started this business and has a number of people in his office to make sure that when you call there, 314-961-4800, uh, you are going to talk with someone as opposed to being in a spot where uh, you're on a national office and talking with somebody who knows nothing about you or your area or what you're looking for. And when you're talking about insurance, you're talking about important stuff here. Again, Mark Hanna and James Carlton, these aren't like convenience plays. These are necessary plays. So be in business with the best. And people who care and who know that they're putting their reputations out there by talking about it on the radio and on the podcast with their customer service. 314-961-4800. Go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Now back to John Costello. 
Well, that's what my understanding is, and I was surprised by this. I was hanging out with um, a guy who was associated with the team when they were in Chicago, and this was a handful of years ago, and I said, oh, the guy's going to be out. We were over at the team hotel, and he goes, no, they stay in their room. They play video games. If they're going to meet up with yeah, uh, the fairer sex, they'll do it via an app because they don't want to get caught and happen to have a beer in their hands, and somebody takes a picture and posts it. Yeah, and nowadays, so-and-so. they're under a microscope, yeah. and we weren't. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and not that they're not as tightly knit as us, but even I talked to Red Shandies, and uh, he said he feels sorry for the ballplayers of the modern era or nowadays because they don't go out as a team yeah. and as a group. Then back in his day, they'd go out suit and tie. They'd go listen to guys like Frank Sinatra, Vic Damone playing in Manhattan, and they'd, ha- they'd be a tight-knit group yeah. where now they kind of all go different ways and they're not as tight. But, you know, that's just the way society has changed. How were you guys like it? What were you guys doing? Um, we went out, not, not necessarily as a team, but we went out in groups. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be a group of four or five of us going to dinner together or whatever. So we were, on, especially on the road, you were, you were a tighter-knit group. Yeah, that at home 90- everybody went their own way. Was it a weird spot in '90 because the Cardinals, especially that core group, had done nothing but win, win, you right. know, pennants, and then all of a sudden, I mean, that team, if I'm not mistaken, so you're blaming the year, me. Is that what I you're was going to get into the fact oh. that once you went to Montreal, the team chemistry went away. Yeah, well, it did. It kind of fell apart. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when the team was struggling, was that a, did, did that carry over into the clubhouse? Because like, I think the team had high expectations that year. It was a surprise. Yeah, it, there were some big. It names didn't really up. carry over into the clubhouse. The clubhouse we had some good leaders with Ozzy and Tom Bernanski and guys like that. So I don't think it really, you know, came into the clubhouse mm-hmm. too much. It was just, we weren't performing yeah. and it's tough to play when nobody's performing. What was the league minimum in? Cause I would imagine that's what you were getting when you first came up. When I first came up, it so I think was, it's like 475 now, I think. Yeah, it might oh, even be higher. It might be higher than that. Yeah, I think it's around 500 grand. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that. <laughs> Um, I don't think I got that in my whole career combined. Can, see if I can look it up on baseball reference. They it, list your guys' salary. Well, I can tell you, you don't have to look it up. It was sixty five thousand dollars a year when they I got first you sixty two five. I hate to give you more bad news on the strikeouts and your wow, salary. more strikeouts, less money. <laughs> it's a mess. What yeah. a disaster! I'm glad I came in today, Tim. Eighty five and eighty nine, ninety a hundred five. That's what that's what they're saying on baseball reference. Does that does that make sense to you? Yes, that sounds okay. familiar. All right. I wonder how they get this stuff. I don't know, but I was definitely underpaid. Yeah. Maybe you should go back and ask for <laughs> ask for something. I mean, you are a fantasy league yeah, champion well, manager yeah, now. I don't think I'll do that because I'm I'm glad just to get invited down to the Cardinals <laughs> fantasy camp. So I'm not going to ask for any more money. Uh, when it all wraps up, you go from the Expos to the Padres and spend a year in San Diego. Correct. What was that like? That was good. I mean, you can't beat the weather. Yeah. Every day it's 83 to 85 at the most, and at night 70 to 75, and just perfect weather. That's mm-hmm. why I think a lot of people like to live there. As a matter of fact, it might be the number one place for former athletes to live. Got some and cash. St. Louis, Louis is right there, too. I think it's San Diego, Atlanta, and St. Louis. Believe it, it, it or not. That's absolutely yeah. right. You got to be. But uh, no, it was awesome. Got to play with another Hall of Famer, Tony Gwynn. What was it like watching that in person? Uh, it was a lot better watching it from the bullpen than it was from the mound. <laughs> you, you didn't carve you, him up? Yeah, you didn't want to see him coming up. He was only one for three off of me, but that is his lifetime batting average, 333. <laughs> so, no, Tony was just a machine. You know, I'd like to see them try the shift on him. First of all, they wouldn't try that because he hit to Everything all fields. Absolutely. Basically, he hit it where it was pitched, and that's what was so great about Tony Gwynn. And he studied not only the pitchers he was going to face on that road trip or that homestand, he—, he Studied the relievers. He he knew what was coming. Were and other he, guys doing that, and he just had ridiculous ability, or was it just his commitment? I think he was field? one of the first to start doing yeah. that. He would carry these VHS tapes. I don't know if you remember those. Oh, of course. That's where they played a Dallas Cowboy uh, Super Bowls on. <laughs> coming from a Giants fan, yes. I can tell. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no DVDs with uh, Dallas Cowboys playing in any kind of playoff. But uh, anyway... Um, yeah, Tony would bring a whole suitcase full of these cassettes and he would study the pitchers and yeah, he, he had great God given ability, but he, he worked, worked at, it. at it. It was like yeah. Ozzy. Ozzy had great God given ability as well, but he worked that. he took more ground balls than anybody on the team. And that's why he was a third time, uh, 13 time gold glover covering the team when pools was here. You know, people would be like, God, you know, cause he was, he was at times gruff to deal with from a media standpoint, but right. I, mean, I don't blame guys not want to do interviews. But he really was. He was working his ass off, constantly, yeah. even though he was the best player in the game. 
Yeah, and that's that's why they're the best. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jordan, same thing. You, yeah, you just get, obsessed. They're you know? obsessed with being the best, and they they work hard on anybody to be the best. Were you obsessed like growing up? Were you obsessed like, like I'm, I, I might get to the big leagues? I, I was, gotta get there. I, but I just wasn't the best. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> no, I was good. But what, what I was called on to do, I was good at. But uh, yeah, th this is another level. I mean, you, I just watched the Hall of Fame inductions, and you get to that level, it's just you know they they're the best of the best. What, what is it? I know this might be getting into like kind of like, oh, of course, dude, what do you think? But like what separates a guy from like it's major leaguers. So I mean, you're talking right. about 700 of the best in the world, but then there's that 25 that are in a different world and, you know, 12 or pitchers, 12 or position players. Like what do they have? Well, that's a good question. If I knew that, I would have got <laughs> some gotten of some it. Of yeah. it. <laughs> and not like oh, some of them did get some of it, but uh <laughs> Well, you know what? It's just it's just the work ethic. It's the you got to have the natural ability, and uh, they just take it to that next level. And it's consistency. You have to stay healthy. You have yeah. to be able to do it over the course of a fifteen to twenty year career to get in the Hall of Fame. And you know, I feel like I'm very instrumental in getting Ozzy and Tony Gwynn into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> did they? And Tim Raines. I played with him in Montreal. Did so any I got of three them guys mention the you at Cooperstown in their speech? Not one of them. Wow. Yeah, I thought I thought for sure Whitey was going to, but wow, yeah, they all forgot me. That is alarming. Yeah, that hurt. Best player you ever pitched against? Best player I ever pitched against. I can tell you the one, the best hitter who against you? me, who, who owned me. Yeah, who, Lenny Dykstra. Lenny Dykstra yeah, nailed. Nine for 16 off me. I'm sure you'll look it up and say he was 12 for <laughs> yeah, with, with, for with 11 home yeah, runs. But, but I once bounced a slider to Lenny, and he ripped it down the line foul, and I was like, I just bounced it, and he still hit me. So, yeah, he he, uh, he kind of he liked facing me. Best, and, te best teammate you had? Best teammate. That's a good question. There's so many. Uh, you know what? If I had to pick one, I'd go with Bob Forsh. Bob Forsh. Yeah, Bob. What was great about him? Because it seemed like he wasn't necessarily like. Out he wasn't the vocal right. leader, but he led by example. And he was also a behind-the-scenes prankster that uh, – a lot of people didn't know some of the stuff he's done. Is that right? Yeah. He got paid back a few times, which I can't talk about. But <laughs> That's the Omerta. Yeah. Well, whatever that means. Anyway, yeah, no, yeah, Bob Bob would do it under the radar, but uh, he was just a seasoned veteran yeah. that if you if you needed somebody to get plunked, he'd plunk them. If you needed 87 some, NLCS, Jeffrey Leonard. Yes, Leonard. Uh, Pasquale Perez comes to mind, another guy that, I think he punched out 14 of us, and as he was striking us out, he was <laughs> shooting us down with his finger. And Whitey basically came into the locker room and said, I don't know who's pitching at our place, but that SOB needs to go down. <laughs> and uh, Bob Forrest was the one pitching. Oh, perfect timing. And I think the first one was way inside, ball one. Second one was behind him, <laughs> ball two. And the third one jumped up about three or four miles an hour and hit him right in the rib cage. And uh, Danny Cox, I believe, went up to the top step and was asking him if he wanted to shoot anybody <laughs> now. And not one guy in Montreal moved off that bench. Or, oh, it says a oh, lot, doesn't yes, it? It, it says did. a lot. Yeah, you don't show up another team when you're beating them. Oh, that says yeah, a there's lot. some unwritten rules in baseball. Uh, as far as the most talented player that you were around, whether this be on a team or against a team, that like you look back like, man, I can't believe I played in this this guy was on the field. Would that be Gwyn? Besides myself, uh, of course, I, that was that was understood. Uh, actually, Tony Gwynn was the best hitter. Yeah, and Ozzy was probably the best athlete all Ozzie around. Was the athlete, yeah, yeah. But there's another gentleman I'll put in there, uh, Andy Van Slyke. That's my workout buddy next door. Well, he not only could beat you with his arm, he could beat you with his glove, and he could beat you with his bat. So uh, Andy was a heck of an athlete, and I didn't like him too much because he hit me pretty good. <laughs> You know, you know, you don't want to say this because he already has a healthy sense of self as it is. Yes, yes, he does. But you know what? If you don't have that ego and that that drive to be the best, and you're not going to compete at that high yeah. level, so you have to have that confidence about you. Now they they can say you're cocky or whatever. It's how you carry yourself because yeah. some guys can be too cocky, like Jeffrey Leonard, and then there's other guys that just carry themselves with confidence. Yeah. Like when you saw Tony Gwynn coming to the plate. Everybody knew he was the best hitter in the game at the time, and especially the pitcher because you have to face him. Mm -hmm. But it was just that swagger or that confidence, which you have to have. If you don't have that, if you don't think you're the best, you're not going to be able to compete against the best. Did you ever cross paths with Bonds? 
Bonds. Uh, I faced him, I think, only a couple of times. I'm not sure. Don't look it up because I don't want you to correct me again. But, uh, yeah, I did. But uh, you know what? He he wasn't the type of guy I would want. As talented as he was, he was you know definitely a Hall of Famer even without taking anything. He just wasn't the best teammate. And you want guys on your team, no matter how talented they are, to be a great teammate. Yeah. And Ozzy was a great teammate. Tony Gwynn was a great teammate. But uh, and I didn't play with Bond, so I shouldn't maybe say anything about it. But, but you it, it just played came with across, guys who did play with, right? Him. Just came across that he was more interested in about himself doing well than he did the team. When I was doing television, I, I and I was 23 when I started, and I'm like, I thought at first all these guys would want to do interviews, and then it took about a week to realize no one wanted to do interviews, and that was a that was eye opening. So then it kind of became a sport for me to see how they would tell me to piss off. So when Bonds came to town. In 2000, I'm like, this will be great. He's really going to tell me to go off myself, you know? So I walk in there, and sure enough, he's in that leather chair we always heard about that was in his contract, that he would have his own leather chair. And he was sitting there, and I said, hey, Barry, you got time to do a one-on-one interview? Figuring he's going to tell me to go. And he goes, why do you want to talk to me? And I go, I don't know, pretty good ball player. And he goes, all right, let me think about it. I'm like, oh, my God. And he comes out, and he does a 20-minute one-on-one interview with me. Unbelievable. The whole time, fans are screaming at him to to sign an autograph. And I said, you know, if you just walked over there and we're done, I said this during the interview, probably pretty uh, irresponsible, I suppose, in hindsight. And I said, sign that for those the five minutes you would do that, everybody there would remember that the rest of their right. lives. He goes, you don't understand. We don't get paid to do that, though. He goes, I don't get paid to do interviews here. I'll do interviews with you, and then you'll go and say I said something that I didn't say, and then you use it against me, and I'm not getting paid to do this. Right. And that was just kind of his... Well, yeah, I mean, was his Joe DiMaggio didn't sign autographs. Yeah. A lot of guys didn't. But then you get a guy like Stan Musial who would sign for any and everybody. And would go into that office, Stan the Man Inc., every day and sign. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't blame them because, you know, you get to that level. I've never been at that level, obviously. But an Ozzie Smith or a Barry Bonds, you know, some of the best that ever played the game, they don't have a whole lot of privacy. You can't yeah. go out to a dinner at a public restaurant. You can't almost go anywhere without being recognized. So I understand that part about being guarded. And the fact he did that interview, is that, that's pretty good, if you ask me. Yeah. And like I said, I wasn't his teammate. It just came across sometimes that he seemed more about himself than the team. Yeah. Because sometimes they'd be making a pitching change. They'd be sitting against the, the outfield wall, and he's, like, annoyed that they came back and tied the game after he just <laughs> got the lead for them or whatever. But, you know, that's why I went to Andy. And Andy, he would be the guy that you would want on your team because he, he cared and he played hard and he, he was for a few years there just as talented oh, as, yeah. as anybody in the game. Well, so. the look on his face after Sid Bream scores in that NLCS game after he and, and Andy's been in here uh, and he talks about how he was telling Bonds to move he up. told him to move up. And then Bonds covers up the glove, flips him off, and then, of course, the ball drops in right in front of him. Well, and, and that's the thing. If you're, if you're a good teammate, you got to realize the center fielder is the field general out in the outfield. Right, the captain. If he's telling you to move up, it's probably because he knows something. He's not telling you to move up because he thinks he's better than you, and you're Barry Bonds at the time, probably the best player in the game, him and Ken Griffey Jr. And he's like, well, I'm not, I don't have to listen to you. I'll yeah. stay right where I am. i got a good arm. I'll throw him out from here or whatever. And if he would have moved up, Sid Bream, I mean, I could beat him in a race right now. Back, even <laughs> back in 92. Back, back in 92. And he would have probably been out. Yeah. But, you know. And then you just have Van Slyke sitting there with his, like, hat over his eyes. Yeah. And he can't get up from the Fulton County Stadium field. And he's just like, you've got to be kidding me. You've well, got was, that's baseball. I mean, you know, who would have thought, you know, Fuhrer would have given up that yeah. home run to uh, Jack Clark. And right. why did he even pitch to him? Right, yeah. I can still see Pedro Guerrero slamming his slamming glove his down in left, left field. field. <laughs> yeah. And I think Andy Van Slyke was on deck. That's right. Van yeah. Slyke loves talking about that. That he pitched to Clark instead of him. And who was on deck when Bobby Thompson hit his famous home run <sighs> for the Giants? I don't have that one. Willie Mays. Really? Yeah. Wow. Look it up. You've been looking at everything been else looking up. Every, I, only, I only have your salary and strike out. <laughs> yeah, my strike all my nine. I thought it was only seven. Holy <laughs> well, cow. Maybe it's bad information. Contact the people at the... Yeah, I think that was a Google mistake. <laughs> when you see the game now, take your pick of whatever element. The home runs, all the strikeouts, no stolen bases, the money, everything being on television... What, can't run over the catcher. Cannot run over the catcher. Another example. You got to be careful sliding in a second, trying to break up double play. 
instant replay. Uh, what do you think of all of this? You like it? You dislike it? I'm sure you wish you would have played in this era, making oh, 500K minimum. Yeah. Um, it's not that I don't like it. I, I, I watch the Cardinals all the time, and I, I still love the game of baseball. But I think money's changed the game. I mean, when uh, Posey got hurt, I think that's what changed the rule about sliding mm, in the home plate, yeah. barreling over the catcher. Do you like that rule that they've changed? Or I don't like it? it. Okay. I can see how you're trying to protect these great athletes and some of your best hitters and players on the team. You don't want to get them hurt. But at the same time, it's still called hardball for a reason. you know. And I understand you don't want to get people hurt taking cheap shots. And if somebody does take a cheap shot, throw them out of the game. But Posey got hurt. I think he broke his ankle on a hard slide into the plate. And when your stars in your league start getting hurt and being on the disabled list and they're making, you know, twenty to thirty million dollars a year, yeah. that's that's gonna hurt your team. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's playing for their own statistics where back in our day, Vince would walk, steal second, ground ball to the right side of the infield, move them over to third, sack fly to the outfield. Yeah. He tags up and scores. We got one nothing lead and we don't even have a hit yet. But that's the way we played it. It was whitey ball, mm-hmm. small ball. And now guys don't want to give themselves up to maybe move that runner over to third base because when they go to arbitration, they're going to use that against yep, them that yep. you didn't bat X amount. You only batted 250. Well, you could have maybe batted 280 mm. if you didn't give yourself up all yep. those times because you're trying to help the team win by moving the runners over. Yep. It's a scoring position. Yep. That was the Cardinals in yeah. the 80s, and it was the best. Do you think that style? Okay, Brady, I, I'm always curious, especially guys who played on those teams, if that could work now. Well, and— you know, somebody asked Whitey that question, and I don't think it would because the ballparks are a little smaller. smaller. There's that no was more, turf. There's no more AstroTurf. And, uh, yeah, his, his teams were built on speed, pitching, and defense. Yeah. And we had the fastest team in baseball. We had some pretty good pitching and awesome defense. And like, that's, that's what won. The two teams that were the best teams that I can remember as a lifelong Cardinal fan were the 85 Cardinals ridiculous and the 04 Cardinals. And the 04 Cardinals. Yeah. Yeah, the 04 Cardinals and, and just the two totally different two best teams in baseball both of those years and probably for many other seasons yes. as well. But yeah, we had uh I think Mike Matheny got hurt right before the uh 2004 World Series. Carpenter did. Matheny got hurt in 2000 with the hunting knife. Oh, is that 2000? When Ankiel yeah. then had See? his thing. Yeah, I got a weird. You get as old as me, Tim. These <laughs> things all blur together. Memory and if I don't, I just look up your your strikeout <laughs> total. Strikeout total. That's all I do. But I'd be curious, like the '85 Cardinals, that style with what you had one guy, Clark hit over 30 home runs. Yeah, the '04 Cardinals had a bunch of guys, you know, yeah, with and, with Edmonds rolling pools. Well, I don't know. Maybe he's up in a, a a cabin in Alaska with a few other guys like Scott Norwood and a few other, the guy who was in charge Decker. of running the tarp and oh. Dick, yeah. That guy's got to be banished somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Mitch uh, Coleman's on that team. Yeah. Well, I figured he's up in a cabin with Leon Lett, you know, <laughs> Scott Norwood, um, Bartman, whoever. Take your there, there's a bunch of guys up in that cabin playing poker together. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the tarp ran, I think, one mile per hour. And, How did uh, the Vince, hell that happen? Vince was out stretching before the game, and... Uh, he didn't see it coming, and apparently nobody else did either. By the time it got to his leg, it started rolling up on his ankle, and they tried to stop it with some bats. They tried to wedge the bats under it to stop it from keep rolling, but it was, it was a mechanical thing, so it just kept rolling up. Oh, my God. I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, and by the like, time— Like, I thought it just caught him off guard, so they can see this. It's like yeah, a horror it was, movie. It was rolling up on his leg. Ah! Yeah, the fastest guy in baseball is getting <laughs> run over by a tarp that— But he was around for the Dodgers series, right? Uh, and this yes. happened in between the Dodgers and the Royal right. Series. It happened right before the World Series. <sighs> the worst. So, yeah, it was just bad timing because uh, I think if Vince was healthy, they beat the Royals in five games. Oh, my God. They were up maybe 3-1. They were yeah. up 3-1 without him as it was. And I but, didn't realize this. I went to the University of Missouri. I had no idea about this Kansas City thing. But Kansas City's got a thing with St. Louis. And so they any t- still, it's, you know, been, what, 35 years? Yeah. They go, oh, well, 85 they thank Deckinger for that one. <laughs> right, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Whitey gave him, uh, in 2015, you can't correct me because it, I'm correct on that. In 2015, <laughs> he gave uh, Deckinger a, well, he gave everybody on that team a, a watch, a nice watch. But he gave Deckinger a Braille watch. It's <laughs> a pretty good move. And Deckinger took it well. Yeah. And I mean, Whitey and him are friends, and they understand that he blew the call. Yeah. I mean, we all knew he blew the call. Right. But, um, he, he was a Good sport about it, and uh, it's water under the bridge. Whitey got into the Hall of Fame without that. Whitey know. did wonder before he got well, in the Hall of Fame if that was going to keep him out keep because him he would have right. two world championships. Yeah. Could have had three. 
because Jack Clark got hurt in the 87. 87, I know. And wasn't Pelton hurt too, I think, in 87? Could be wrong with that, know. but check, I know Clark Check, was, check your yeah, notes check over there. notes over yeah, here. Right next to the nine strikeouts I had. <laughs> and, the, and the 62 5 instead of 65 and 88. <laughs> you got to pay that 2500 yeah, back. They, <laughs> shh, don't say that. They'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> call Pete, me. I'll be Pete will edit it out. Yeah. All this will be edited out. Don't worry about All it. Right. <laughs> um, what do you think of replay? Do you like replay? Wasn't around when you were pitching. Um, Obviously would have helped in 85. I think for uh, playoffs and World Series, I like it. For regular season games, not so much. Dragging it out. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I think they're doing it. Somebody said it in the Atlantic League or somewhere. Where oh, with the strike zone. The strike zone. If they ever go to uh, mechanical strike zones, I think that's, or electronic strike zones. Right. I think that's just going to take away from the game. Yeah. I mean, you already can't run over the catcher. You can't slide into second too hard. I mean, it's, like I said earlier, it's still hardball. You still got to play the game the way it was meant to be played. I mean, look at Pete Rose in the, in the All-Star, All-Star game. game. And I think it was in 72, maybe. I don't know. I don't know on that one. I don't have Google in front of me either. <laughs> anyway, he knocks over Ray Fossey and right. knocks him back. They say it changed his career path, but... uh it's an all-star game, but back then they played that game yeah. for pride, and they played hard. And Pete Rose played the game harder than anybody. Yeah, he was. Uh, I yeah. mean, he was the bad crap. I mean, you would never see that in that game in 2019. No, no, you couldn't. It's it's more about the home run derby. Yeah, now than, that, that's the name of the game. As you look at the Cardinals right now, you say you watch. They're they're in first place. Yeah, but they're, they're doing well. I mean, everybody's a little apprehensive. They don't want to get too excited about being in first, but at the same time, Goldie's getting hot. And I think if Goldschmidt can stay hot, he can carry a team for a while. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I'd like to see us. Uh, when's the deadline? The deadline's in uh, four hours, four and a half hours. Well, I haven't gotten any calls, so, <laughs> so I know you I'm, you, you I'm are available. Yeah, I am available, but uh, I don't think Mosaic wants to look at guys <laughs> like me. But uh, I would love to see him pick up a pitcher on the uh, a starter. A, a starter. Yeah. Yes. If yeah. they could get one frontline starter, somebody like Syndergaard. Or Strowman, who the Mets picked up. Out of nowhere, and then move. Bauer goes to the Reds. What in the hell yeah. is that about? Yeah, it's kind of strange. I was wondering if the Mets were going to try and make another blockbuster deal before the deadline and use Strowman part of that. But That's what I was wondering. I'm wondering if the Reds will do that with Bauer. I don't I don't, because I yeah, don't get what these teams know. are doing. Usually you see the buyers. Did you see Bauer throw the ball over the What do you think of that? Thing? Yes, in Kansas City on Sunday. Um, I don't think he did it to show up Tito coming out to get him. I think he was just frustrated. You know, He's got a, a bit of an edge about him. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? That's a heck of a throw. He he actually threw it over the fence from the mound. And he didn't take a crow hop either. He just stepped <laughs> yeah, and threw it got, over. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Could you do that when you were playing? Could you, would you have been heck able to? no. I'd be on the disabled list right after I tried to throw that. <laughs> and you wouldn't want to do that with Whitey Herzog anyway. Yeah, how would that yeah. play? Did you ever chirp him when he came out to pull? Heck no. Yeah. There was one rule I was taught as soon as I got called up. One, when you go out to the mound, open up your glove, and Whitey will place the ball in it. And if you get taken out of the game... Do not open that same glove and have him reach in to take it out. You hand him the baseball. Wow. It was a show of respect. As a matter of fact, I have that on my phone. It's a picture from 1989 where it shows me coming into the game and Whitey's taking the ball and putting it into my glove. Because everybody keeps teasing me, is he taking you out? And I said, no, I'm actually coming in because my glove's open and he's putting the ball Uh. in. If I was coming out, you'd see the ball in my hand and me handing it to Whitey. No, I would never, ever, ever say anything to Whitey. As a matter of fact, I didn't hardly talk to him. I, I'm good friends with him now, but back then. Was he intimidating? I, it was intimidating, and I would just nod my head. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, get this son of a gun, and I'd go out. He'd tell you the situation. He'd tell you how many outs, who was on base with the hitter, whatever. And then he'd say, go get him, and that was it. And all I did was nod my head. Who are the other managers you played for? Obviously not a Played for list. Buck Rogers in Montreal. Now, he was a pretty storied manager. Yeah, and Greg Riddock. In uh, San Diego. I'm not sure how he got that job. <laughs> that doesn't sound yeah, like an Greg, endorsement of his run. Greg Riddock was probably the worst manager. <laughs> well, definitely the worst manager I ever played for, but maybe the worst manager ever. In the play history in the of the game. Yes, I can say that now. <laughs> I don't work for them anymore. <laughs> what what made Whitey so good? Uh, he he was three, four, five moves ahead of the manager That's what he was managing says. us. Yeah. yeah, he could take his team and beat yours and then take your team and come back and beat his. That's mm. that's the saying yeah. about how good of a manager he was. But he was. He, he knew he knew what guys to put into what situations to make them the 
most successful they could be and would help the team be successful. So, Pre-sabermetrics. Right. And I can't the, the imagine Saber, you like sabermetrics. I can't no, imagine. I'd be stunned if you said her. And John it, Costello is a big fan of well, it's part of the game. Or the shift. Or yeah, whatever. it's part of the game. And Tony LaRusso used computers, and uh, Whitey had a computer in his head. And it is part of the game, and it, I think it is a necessary thing to utilize. But you can't bank everything on it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to go by your gut and your hunches and your baseball knowledge. And I mean, Whitey learned from Casey Stengel, one of the best. Yeah. And Whitey, with all his experience as a player in the big leagues and then as a manager, player, he was the head of player development for the Mets. Then he became a manager in Texas and the Royals and obviously the Cardinals. And the guy, he's, he's forgotten more about baseball than most people will ever know. That's how smart he is in baseball. Yeah. And he just was so far ahead of, you know, everybody else in the game. Yeah. Do you take any of that and, and use it for your, uh, for your managing at, at fantasy camp? I do, but not nearly at that level. You know, I would never kind of compare myself to Whitey. <laughs> I think it'd be great. No, Whitey, although I do have one championship and so does he. So there are all the comparisons out there. But no, Whitey, uh, if you were on his 25-man roster, you were utilized and you were important. Yeah. And that's what made him so good because everybody busted their tail. He only had two rules, show up on time and bust your tail. Yeah. Well, John, I have enjoyed having you and Thank you for coming in. Um the the morning meetings that's classic material i know it'll never be shared anywhere because of the omerita that we spoke of that you brought up yeah. you brought up the omerita the, the omerita <laughs> can you spell that o m yeah that's a good start <laughs> well you know what it, it's it we have a lot of ceos of companies we have a lot of you know people that come down to these camps and they spend a lot of money to come to these fantasy camps and I think it's the best fantasy camp in baseball. It's incredible. Yeah, and uh, they want to feel a part of the experience of being in that locker room of a major league baseball team, and we give them that experience, and they love it, and we love it, and it's one of those camaraderie things. They feel a part of being wearing that uniform, the birds on the bat, yeah. the history of the Cardinals. I mean, besides the Yankees, we have probably the most storied history franchise in baseball. And so you got the Yankees, then it's the Cardinals. Cardinals, yeah. yeah. And to experience that, it really, it truly is the best. The only thing that I was worried about, they talk about the sniper. You see a lot of guys yes. feeling like they can relive the glory days and they come hustling down the first base line and, and the first, sniper gets them. That first base hit to the outfield, they think they're Vince Coleman and they sprint out of that box and they go around first base. And before they even it's reach over. first base, that hamstring's blown out or the calf is blown out. <laughs> It's because the mind is willing. The mind says you're still 25, right. but the body is not, and something's got to give. <laughs> the sniper. Yeah, the sniper definitely <laughs> will find you. John, thanks so much. All right, Tim. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So there is my conversation with John Costello from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Uh, guy is just, uh, he's just amusing. I really do. I feel like that's the guy that, like, we want a cardinal guest. He watches the games very closely. Um, and just to kind of give an honest assessment of, uh, of what he sees, uh, that's more my style. And he's just, you know, I mean, it's just textbook ball busting kind of humor. Uh, not happy about, uh, thinking he made 65,000 in, in 1988, re- realizing it's now 62,500 and, uh, and not realizing uh, that he had struck out nine times in the major leagues. Uh, when he thought going into this interview for now 30 years that it was only seven times. And he told us a story when we were wrapping up that uh, he faced Fernando Valenzuela and uh, and he crushed a ball that was second deck home run at the old Bush Stadium, but he hit it so hard it went right to left and just fouled by about a foot. And then the next pitch, Valenzuela threw a screwball and he missed it by 10 feet and that wrapped that up and that he grinded in a bat against Dwight Gooden. He thinks it might have been opening day at Shea Stadium. And uh, and Gooden just kept going, okay, I'm going to beat him with a fastball. And he kept following it off, and it was like one, two for like seven or eight pitches. And then Gooden's like, okay, fine. And then he throws the breaking ball, and John said he missed it by, you know, 10 feet, goes in the dirt. So he has to run down to first. Gary Carter ran over to get the ball, gets him by a foot, and then Keith Hernandez says, oh, that's like you made it out twice. You struck out, and you got thrown out. And it's like, yeah, this is... This is fun to come up and face major league pitchers. But uh, to get that perspective from somebody who played it and who isn't afraid to talk about it and also present day, uh, really enjoyed that. So John Costello, the guest here, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen 
Wealth Strategies. Thank you to all of our sponsors who make it possible. Mark Hanna, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Mark Hanna's at evergreenstl.com. James Carlton is carltoninsurance.net. And then we also have Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at landoff.com, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth. Uh, Chevy, find new roads. If you miss any of our interviews, we've had a lot of great blues interviews since they won the cup. Uh, Pat Maroon last week, Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong, Cam Jansen, and Reed Lowe uh, have John Kelly coming up. Um, I feel like I'm missing something, uh, but uh, plenty of baseball here coming up over the next couple of months. The Cardinals head down the stretch. Uh, so always appreciate the feedback and questions you submit for questions from the audience. Send in whatever. It's a free-for-all. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com for your feedback or your questions for questions from the audience. All right, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Thanks for listening. This has been the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network.